one of the things we wanted to do here on Sunday mornings, even as we're uh, dispersed in our various homes and other locations, is we wanted to try to provide some interactive elements to our worship. And so today we've got a responsive reading that we would like to invite you to join us in. Uh, this morning, I'm going to lead us in a responsive reading through some selected passages of uh, some selected references from Psalm chapter 34. I'm going to read the part on the screen that you will see labeled Pastor Jason, and then I'm going to invite you to respond uh, by reading the part that's labeled the church. And uh, Chaz Schaefer, our worship director, will be reading along that part with you, so you'll hear her voice. And we just invite you to join us, whether you're alone or there with your family, to uh, participate with us in this responsive reading through Psalm chapter 34. Please join me now, friends. I will extol the Lord at all times. His praise will always be on my lips. My soul will boast in the Lord. Let the afflicted hear and rejoice. Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me. He delivered me from all of my fears. This poor man called and the Lord heard him. He saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and he delivers them. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. The lions may grow weak and hungry, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. The righteous cry out and the Lord hears them. He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. A righteous man may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. He protects all his bones. Not one of them will be broken. The Lord redeems his servants. No one who takes refuge in him will be condemned. Amen. What a blessing to read those great promises from Psalm 34. I pray that they're an encouragement to you today, friends. Not only Psalm 34, but those great songs that we had the privilege of singing together just a moment ago. Uh, what a joy it is to worship the Lord. I so wish we were all together this morning. I'm so looking forward to that day when we can be reunited. But uh, we are truly blessed here at Lakes Free to have both the technology and the great people like our worship team and our tech team who are able to serve and provide for us the opportunity to still be together, even if it's just in spirit. What a joy it is. Well, this morning, friends, I just want to share a couple quick announcements with you before we go into our sermon this morning. Uh, we recently received from the governor here in Minnesota a stay-at-home order. Some of you have asked me recently, what does this mean for us here at Lakes Free? Well, for, for us here at Lakes Free, what this stay-at-home order means is that we're basically going to be closing the church doors for the next two weeks. 
Uh, our office is going to be closed during its regular hours. But uh, please be assured, friends, your church staff is still here to serve you and is still going to be working behind the scenes to uh, to minister to you, to provide this great content that we've been able to provide the last couple of weeks online to support you and your family and your journey of faith. All of that is still going to go on. If you need to reach us here in the coming weeks, we'd encourage you to call the church office. Uh, even though we may not all be physically present, uh, if you follow the prompts on the church voicemail system, you can get in touch with any of our staff members. And I promise you, we will respond to you as promptly as we can in order to help you with any questions you might, might have or anything you might need. We're going to have various staff members coming in and out of the building here this, this week, uh, performing essential services needed just to keep the church going. But, uh, but again, if you need us, email us, text us, call the church voicemail system, and we'll be here for you. I'd also encourage you today as we join together here in spirit for worship to, uh, to remember to continue to worship the Lord through your giving here at Lakes Free. Uh, your giving to the church has been a tremendous blessing here in these difficult times, and we're so thankful for your faithfulness to us as a church as we seek to carry on the mission that God has given us of raising up disciples and sending out disciples into our world with the good news of Jesus Christ. And so, friends, uh, when you give this week, whether it's uh, through online means or through uh, putting a check in the mail to us, you can be confident, friends, that those gifts are going both to support the ministry here at Lakes Free, but also our efforts to serve our community uh, and those in need, especially in this difficult time. So if you go to the Lakes Free Church homepage, you can find a very clear section there labeled giving that will give you all those instructions on how you can get your funds here to the church. And again, friends, we ask you for those gifts uh, because it's an act of worship. It's one of the ways that we serve the Lord and we give him praise and thanks for all that he's done for us. In fact, we're going to see more about that in our passage this morning as the Apostle Paul is going to say some uh, important things on that very theme to us today. Well, right now, I want to invite you to join me in a word of prayer as we ask the Lord's blessing over our sermon this morning. So uh, if you would, please bow your heads and join me, and let's ask God to uh, bless us as we turn to this final section in our study in the book of Philippians. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's been such a privilege to spend some time the last few weeks going through the book of Philippians. This letter has been such a joy, such an encouragement, filled with such rich teaching. And I know I've been encouraged and inspired by the words of the Apostle Paul. And, and I pray that my friends, my friends who are watching at home this morning, that they too could say that they have been inspired, encouraged, and blessed as we've gone through these Holy Spirit-inspired teachings. Lord, we thank you for giving us this great letter, this great book. And Lord, as we turn now to this final section today, to the end of chapter 4, I pray, God, that you would illuminate your truth for us, that you would make it clear and impress these truths upon our hearts today so that we might live more faithfully as your people. God, today's passage, you're going to challenge us. You're going to encourage us. You're going to remind us again of what it is that we are all about as your people and the promises that you've made and given to us. So, Lord, we thank you for what we're about to participate in together. May we come to your word now with a genuine spirit of worship, expecting to hear from you 
and with humility, Lord, to put into practice the things that you have given us for our well-being, for our sake, so that we can become more like Jesus Christ. We pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, friends, let me ask you this morning, what would it take for you to be content? Have you ever thought about that? It's an interesting question. What would it really take for you to be content? You know, I was thinking about that question this week, and it's very interesting. How we answer that question today probably looks significantly different from how we might have answered that question just a month ago. You know, if I were to ask you that question a month ago, you may have said, hmm, well, what would it take for me to be content? Maybe a, maybe a new car, maybe a, maybe a boat to get out on the lake this summer, or, or maybe that dream vacation you've always wanted to take, maybe, maybe to go to Hawaii. If I, if I had those things, those things would make me content. But you know, in recent days, in recent days, we might answer that question very differently. As I was thinking this week about what would make me content, you know, this week I would say I would love to be able to have dinner with my friends, to, to get together with some friends from church and share a meal and see our kids running around and playing. I, I would love to be able to gather together here with my church on Sunday morning. If I had my friends here with me right now, that would make me truly content. For some of us, we might just want a, a roll of toilet paper. If I could just find some toilet paper, I might be content. You know, it's very interesting how when we place our hopes in the stuff of this world, when we look to the things of this world to fulfill our needs, what leads to contentment can be ever-changing. But this morning, we're going to look at a passage here in Philippians chapter 4, where the Apostle Paul is going to share with us the real secret to contentment. Do you want to know how to be truly content in life, friends? Well, this morning, the Apostle Paul is going to share with us three keys. Three keys that I promise you, if we put these into practice in our lives, we will be able to know and experience true contentment, true peace, true satisfaction, no matter our circumstances. We're at the end of the book of Philippians today, Philippians chapter 4, verses 10 through 23. It's been a terrific study, and, and this section that we end up in here today is really Paul's grand finale. It, it's a great passage, and so I want to invite you to, to read along with me right now and to, to prayerfully consider what Paul has to share with us today. And then I want to come back, and I want to highlight for us the three keys to contentment that Paul shares in this passage. Starting in verse 10 this morning of chapter 4, Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. What Paul's talking about there, friends, is the gift that Epaphrodites has brought Paul from his friends in Philippi. Epaphroditus had made that long, arduous journey from Philippi to Rome in order to care for Paul as he is in prison there in Rome. So Paul rejoices that they have renewed their concern for him. He goes on, you were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty 
and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What a great promise that is. Paul goes on in verse 14, yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent me, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. What a great passage. What a tremendous word of encouragement the apostle gives his friends here in Philippi. And here in our passage this morning, what we find is that God through the words of the Apostle Paul has revealed to us here today three keys for living a life of true contentment. Contentment in the any and every, no matter your circumstances. These three keys that we find in our passage today were exercised in the lives of the Philippians, and they were keys that were modeled in the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. I want to highlight these keys for us today in the hopes that we too might put these keys into practice in our own lives. So what are these three keys to a life of contentment that we find here at the end of the book of Philippians? Well, well, key number one to a life of contentment that Paul shares with his friends in Philippi, Paul says that to experience a life of contentment, we need to participate in gracious giving. Gracious giving is one of the keys to contentment. Paul starts out this closing passage in Philippians chapter 4 by rejoicing once again. Here's that theme that we've seen so often in the book of Philippians. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. Why? Because of the Philippians' gift of love to Paul. Epaphroditus had made that long journey in order to resupply Paul as he is there in prison in Rome. Epaphroditus brought financial gifts. He brought words of encouragement. He brought love from the church in Philippi. And so Paul rejoices in the faithful giving, the gracious giving of his friends in Philippi. In verses 14 through 16, Paul shares with the Philippians that they had been partners with him in the gospel from the very beginning. Paul goes on to say that, in fact, not only had they been his partners in the gospel through their faithful giving to his missionary efforts, but Paul goes on to say that there were no other churches who supported him like the Philippians. He says, only you, only you, the church in Philippi, supported me. Now, it's very interesting when we think about that. 
You know, it, it leads me to question why. Why were there no other churches supporting Paul in his ministry? Well, friends, we don't know for sure. We don't know why this is. But, but I would argue that one likely reason is that many of the young churches in the first century hadn't yet matured to the point of discovering the blessings of giving to the cause of the gospel. Friends, have you discovered the blessings, the joy that comes in giving to the cause of the gospel? Paul says it's one of the keys to contentment, to be a gracious giver. You know, when you think about contentment, the, the world's view of contentment is very different from what God tells us leads to contentment. The world would say contentment is generally found in, in the got and the get. Contentment comes through, through what I've got and, and what I can get. It's about the accumulation of stuff, whether, whether material possessions or experiences. And, and, and if I've got them or if I get them, then I'll experience contentment. But friends, God gives us a very different vision of contentment. God says contentment isn't found in, in the got and the get. Contentment, real contentment is found in what we give and let go of. Not the got and the get, but the give and let go. You see, friends, one of the principles that we need to understand this morning and one of the truths that we see lived out in the, in the lives of the Philippians is that a growing Christian will be a giving Christian. Let me say that again for you, friends. A growing Christian will be a giving Christian. Someone who's maturing in their faith, someone who is growing in their love for the Lord, someone who is growing to look more like Christ in their own life will seek to be a giver. Giving out of love and support and graciousness for what God has done for us. And we see that here in the Philippian church. The Philippians had uniquely embraced the gospel. Unlike any other church that Paul had ministered in, the Philippians had grown in their walk with the Lord. They had rapidly matured in their commitment to the Lord. We, we saw this all the way at the beginning of our study in Philippians. Back in Philippians 1, cha chapter 1, verses 3 through 5, the apostle Paul says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Friends, the Philippians had partnered with Paul very early on. They caught a vision for the joy of being gracious givers, living and giving for the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, if you want to know true contentment in life, true contentment, Paul tells us here, and what the Philippians experienced is that it comes by being a gracious giver. Now, some of you might be thinking right now this morning, hearing this talk about giving. Well, well you know, Jason, good for them, right? I mean, good for the Philippians. They were gracious givers. But Jason, you don't understand. Not all of us are, are well enough off to be able to give. And friends, if that's what you're thinking this morning, this is where you'd be mistaken. See, the Philippians didn't give because they had been blessed with some abundance and, and this great wealth. 
No, what we know about the Philippians from the New Testament is that the Philippians gave to the cause of the Lord faithfully, even in the midst of great hardship and poverty. In fact, the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth points to the Philippian Christians as an example of gracious giving, even in the midst of hardship and poverty. In, in 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 5, the Apostle Paul writes, We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Friends, where are those churches? Paul's talking about Philippi. Philippi was in Macedonia. Paul says, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and even beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. What an incredible model, friends. What, what, a, what an incredible joy that we see in the faith of these Philippian Christians. Out of all the churches in the world at this time, it was only them who were faithfully giving to the cause of the gospel. And Paul singles them out as a model of faithfulness. Why did they do this? Why did they give even in their hardship, in their poverty, in the middle of these difficult circumstances they were facing? Persecution. We, we don't know exactly what it was, but Paul calls it very difficult circumstances. Why would they give in these kinds of conditions? Well, friends, they had experienced the grace of giving. They had experienced the joy of giving, the contentment that comes from a lifestyle of giving to the cause of Christ. Friends, I'll tell you something this morning. Some of the most content people that you'll ever meet are the ones who give the most away. It's been very interesting over my life. I've, I've seen many people who have abundant wealth and many possessions. And yet, you know something? A lot of those folks never have enough. They're always out to get more. They're always looking for something new. They're always looking for the latest, greatest toy or the, the next experience to try to bring contentment into their lives. But they'll never have enough, friends, because you'll never find contentment in those things. But at the same time, I've traveled all around the world. I've been to 30 different countries doing missions work and sharing the gospel and telling people the good news of Jesus Christ. And it's been amazing to me that no matter where I go in the world, even in very difficult situations, even in places where people are living in extreme poverty and hardship, you want to know what I've experienced time and time again from Christians who have experienced the key to contentment that Paul's talking about here, gracious giving. Friends, I've seen Christians lavish me with gifts I've seen Christians invite me into their homes, provide me with abundant food, even when they didn't have the means. But they gave generously. They gave even out of their hardship and their poverty. Why? Because they love the Lord. And they experience the joy that comes in giving to the cause of the gospel. That was their reward. That was their secret to contentment. You know something? You'll never find a contented hoarder in this world. But you will find many contented givers. One of the keys to experiencing true contentment in life 
is living in the joy of giving. Friends, let me ask you this morning, are you living in the joy of giving? Have you experienced the the joy that comes from being a gracious giver? We've got a great model here in the Philippian Christians. I'd encourage you this morning to, to spend some time praying and asking the Lord, God, am I a gracious giver today? Is this an area that you would lead me to grow in in my life so that I too can experience the contentment that comes from giving to the cause of the gospel? Now, the second secret or key to contentment that Paul highlights here in our passage, not only do we find contentment in gracious giving, but secondly, Paul says we find contentment in trusting living, trusting living. Let let me read for you verse 11 here in our passage. Paul says, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Paul says, I've learned that I am to be content. Now, the word that Paul uses here for content is a very interesting word in the Greek. It's a word that's found only once in all of the New Testament, and that's right here in Philippians chapter 4. This word is not used anywhere else in the Bible. You see, it's it's a term that was more commonly used in reference or connection with the Greek philosophy of Paul's day known as Stoicism, the Greek philosophy of Stoicism. The the word content that Paul uses here is autarkes. It it means self-sufficient or strong enough to need no support. And as I said, friends, this was a word that the Greek philosophy of Stoicism would often champion. It, It was this idea of being unmoved by our circumstances, of finding this inner peace, no matter what was going on around me, I am strong and I can handle anything. This was the the ideal that the Stoics championed. Many of you may have heard the the term used in reference to us Minnesota Scandinavians. People often describe Minnesota Scandinavians as being a people with a Stoic disposition. You know, we're we're dispassionate, we're unmoved. I'm I'm not going to let anything move me. I'm not going to show any emotion. I'm just going to stand here and be strong, unmoved. No emotion. I have a stoic disposition. Friends, where does that come from? Well, that's what Paul is talking about here. Atarches. It it was this this ideal champion by the Stoics. We want to be unmoved. But understand this morning, Paul wasn't talking about the Stoic vision of contentment. Paul was talking about a different kind of contentment here. He he was using the same term, but as we're going to see, he actually flips this term on its head, flipping the philosophy of his day on its head and championing for us a new vision of what leads to contentment. Look again at verses 12 and 13. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. What is the secret? Paul says in verse 13, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. You see, friends, unlike the stoic vision of contentment, a Christian isn't content because we're unmoved. 
I won't be moved by anything. I'm going to be unemotional. I'm going to be strong and stoic. No, friends, a, a Christian's vision of contentment isn't about being unmoved. A Christian is content because God moves in us. It's God moving in us that leads to our contentment. And how does God move in us? He moves in us by giving us his strength. And what kind of strength? It's a specific kind of strength that God gives us. Paul says, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. What kind of strength is Paul talking about? He's talking about the strength of God's peace. God gives us the strength of his peace. Look at what Paul writes to his friends in the church in Thessalonica. In the, in the letter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16, Paul says this in 2 Thessalonians 3, 16. Take a look at this passage. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Friends, here in this passage, Paul tells us that true peace is supernatural. It's supernatural. It's something that we experience that comes from God. True peace, Paul says, is rooted into God's divine nature and character. It's part of who God is. He's God. He's the God of peace. And he gives his peace, Paul says, to us who are believers. Friends, if you don't know Jesus Christ in a personal way, if you've never embraced a personal relationship with Jesus, you're not going to be able to experience this kind of peace. It's a peace that's given supernaturally by God, rooted in his character, given to believers, and it leads to genuine contentment, no matter our circumstances. And friends, understand this would have been a revolutionary concept to the Greek culture of Paul's day. It would have been a liberating concept to the Greek culture of Paul's day, especially in light of the hollow promise of the stoic vision of contentment, that, that I'm going to be unmoved by my own willpower, by my own strength. Friends, you'll never find genuine peace in your own power. You'll never experience true and lasting peace in your circumstances. And why? It's because our emotions and our circumstances are ever-changing, constantly changing. True peace, real contentment is only found in the one who never changes. That is the Lord of peace. I, I came across a great passage this week in my personal Bible study. Psalm chapter 42, verse 11. Here the psalmist makes a great statement. He says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Friends, do you ever feel that way? My soul is cast down. My soul is in turmoil. What's the answer? The psalmist says, hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Friends, when your soul is cast down, when your soul is distressed within you, the goal is to look to God, the hope is found in looking to God, our strength and our salvation. It's very interesting. If you were to travel this morning to the far northeastern tip of the United States, you'd find there in the state of Maine a small town called Bangor, Maine. Bangor, Maine. It's a small town, but 
there's something very curious that you would discover as you looked around this town. Here in this, this little town in the far northeastern corner of America, out in the middle of nowhere, out in the middle of the woods, this little town boasts a massive two-mile-long runway. It's got a tiny little airport, but it boasts a massive two-mile-long runway. Now, you might be thinking, why would this little town need this huge runway? Well, friends, that runway is there because it's the first landing strip for any plane making the 2,500-mile journey across the Atlantic Ocean. It's there for those planes in time of dis- times of distress, in times of turmoil. If something goes wrong on a transatlantic flight, those pilots know if they can just make it to Bangor, Maine. There's an airport there where they can safely land. Its beacon signals hope. Its runway promises refuge. And friends, I'll tell you this morning, in the very same way, God's vast runway of peace is open to you today. No matter what distress you find yourselves in, no matter what kind of turmoil is going on within your spirit this morning, God's vast runway of peace is open to you. Look to him. Let him be the source of of your strength. Find your peace and contentment in him. This is where true contentment lies in our creator God, in the strength of his peace. Thirdly, this morning in our passage, Paul giving us these keys to contentment. Paul tells us that the third key to contentment is joyful thanksgiving. Joyful thanksgiving. You know, as we've seen repeatedly throughout our study in the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul was a man who was abounding with joy and thanksgiving. And here in our final section of this wonderful letter, these themes come cascading out of Paul in a grand finale of thanksgiving and joy as he brings his letter to a close. What does a life of joyful thanksgiving look like? Well, well, we see it here. Let me, let me just go through this point by point, verse by verse. Paul starts out in verse 17. He says that a life of joyful thanksgiving is found living for an eternal reward. A life of joyful thanksgiving lives for an eternal reward. Verse 17, Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. Here, Paul tells the Philippians, he wasn't so much worried that the Philippians give. He wanted them to truly live. He wanted them to truly live. How do we truly live? We truly live when we invest our lives in God's eternal purposes. Paul had told them earlier in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, friends, live your lives for that eternal reward. That's the fruit that Paul wanted. He wanted them to, to discover this fruit that increases to their credit for the, for the goal of eternity. Friends, there's nothing greater than investing your life and living for the Lord. There's no other investment in this life that promises us an eternal reward. Friends, if you want to be truly content in life, then live for an eternal reward. Secondly, Paul says a life of joyful thanksgiving is a life that exercises humility and modesty. Look at what Paul says in response to the gift the Philippians had given him. I have received full payment and more. 
I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. Friends, here Paul completely shatters the stereotype that the church is just all about money. Just keep giving. That's all we want. We just want your money. Friends, what a bogus lie. That's not why the church exists. And we see that here in the Apostle Paul's response to the Philippians. The Apostle Paul had just received this gracious gift. And, and Paul was no televangelist or prosperity preacher. Oh, you know, friends, if, if you would just send me another $100, if you would just sow a seed of faith, God's going to bless you. Friends, God, Paul was no prosperity theology preacher. He was a faithful, word-centered, gospel-proclaiming, Jesus-exalting shepherd of God's people. His joy came from serving. Let me just say this, friends. If you're watching this morning, maybe Lakes Free isn't your home church. Maybe you're following different teachers online or televangelists or teachers preaching a prosperity gospel. Let me just say this, friends. If you're following a teacher today who is more about me than he, you're not truly following a real shepherd of Jesus Christ. A real shepherd of Jesus Christ is going to minister the gospel, not living for earthly gain, but solely for heavenly acclaim. We see that here in the Apostle Paul. It's one of the keys to a life of joyful thanksgiving. Thirdly, in verse 18b, Paul says a life of joyful thanksgiving views giving as an act of worship. Why do we give? We give because it's an act of worship. Look what Paul says in 18b. He says of the Philippians' gift to him, he calls it a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Friends, Paul calls their gift a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Here, Paul is equating the gift of the Philippians, their giving to the cause of the gospel, with the Old Testament sacrifices that the Israelites would offer God. When the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, when the Israelites would, would slaughter a lamb and then they would burn that sacrifice, the, the smoke of that sacrifice would rise to the heavens as a fragrant offering to the Lord. And Paul says the same thing about our gifts on behalf of the cause of the gospel. Why do we give? We give because it pleases God. We give because it's a fragrant scent in God's in God's nostrils, Lord, as he receives our gifts of faith. Giving is an act of worship. Friends, please understand, giving to the Lord is not about how much you give. It's about how much you give in a genuine spirit of worship. It's not about the abundance of your offering. It's about the abundance of joy in your offering. This is what Paul is commending the Philippians for. He, he writes... In the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 9, verse 7, writing to the church in Corinth, again, he had already highlighted the Philippians as an example to the church in Corinth. And now he says to the church in Corinth, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Friends, God is not concerned with the amount. He's concerned about your heart. Are you giving out of a heart? Of worship. Now, this is really interesting as Paul goes on here in verses 19 and 20. While God calls us to give, He also promises us that He is going to provide. 
He tells us that he will provide for all of our needs. Look at what Paul says to the Philippians in verses 19 and 20. Paul says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul tells his friends in Philippi, my God will supply all your needs. Friends, you might remember last week, last week, Paul and his prescription for peace told us that one of the ways we can banish anxiety from our lives is by praying prayers of thanksgiving. And if you'll recall, I made the comment last week that thanksgiving is about a posture of trust. And here again, Paul emphasizes that we can be content in life because we have a heavenly father in whom we can trust. Paul tells the Philippians, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. God says he'll supply all your needs, friends. Note, Paul doesn't say God will supply for all your greed. He says he'll supply for all your need. Do you believe that today? It's true. God takes care of his people. He provides for his children. I know some of you this morning might be concerned about your situation in life. We're finding ourselves in difficult days with this coronavirus and these stay-at-home orders. And I'd be willing to bet this morning some of you are watching and you're wondering, are my needs going to be provided for? You're wondering, am I going to have a job here in a few days? You're wondering, where is that paycheck going to come from? You're wondering if that government surplus money that's going to be sent out is going to be enough to get you by. Friends, I'll tell you something. You have a faithful God in heaven who promises to provide for all your needs. You can trust in him. One of my favorite verses is Psalm 50, verse 10. It says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. You know something in our modern day language, that verse would read, God owns the bullion in a thousand banks. Friends, you better believe that God will provide. You can trust him. From his riches and glory, God provides for all the needs of his children. And so we can have confidence in that. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep your hope in Jesus and know that he is good and faithful. Lastly, this morning, Paul says a life of joyful thanksgiving celebrates the fellowship of believers. I absolutely love the way Paul ends his letter here. Here again, we see Paul shepherd's heart. We, we see his pastor's heart come out here in verses 21 through 23. Paul ends his letter. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I love this ending, friends. I mean, if you think about it, this ending, it's almost like attending a worship service here at Lakes Free on a Sunday morning. I, and look what Paul does here in verses 21 through 23. He, he starts out, he says to his friends, I want you to stand and greet one another this morning. Man, I can't wait for that day when we're all reunited again. And we have the opportunity to turn and shake hands and hug one another. I don't know when that day's coming, friends, but that day will come. It's going to be a great time of rejoicing. Paul had that same heart for his friends in Philippi. He says, greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me also greet you. Friends, there's a love and a joy that comes in the fellowship of believers. Paul then puts out white roses for the church to celebrate. 
We put out white roses on the stage when people come to faith in Christ. And Paul, too, ends his letter putting out white roses for his friends in Philippi. He says, all the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. Friends, if you remember earlier in our series, we saw that Paul highlighted that because of his imprisonment, even members of Caesar's own household had come to faith in Jesus Christ. Paul wanted the Philippians to know that. He wanted them to celebrate that, that in spite of his trials and hardships, the gospel was advancing. And friends, I'll tell you something, even today, in spite of the trials and hardships we're going through, the gospel is advancing like never before. All around the world today, people are watching gospel messages proclaimed to the very ends of the earth through this technology. What a blessing, friends. And Paul celebrates that. So, so he's, he says, stand and greet one another in the Lord. Let's celebrate these new lives that have come to faith. And then Paul ends by keeping the main thing, the main thing. That's always been the heart here at Lakes Free, keeping the main thing, the main thing. He ends his letter championing what? The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Friends, that's what we need more than anything right now is the grace of our Lord. The grace of our Lord that purchased our salvation. The grace of the Lord that sustains us as we press on in faith. The grace of the Lord that gives us cause to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The grace of the Lord that gives us a genuine spirit of contentment. Friends, understand this is what a life of joyful thanksgiving looks like. This is the life of contentment. Here's Paul writing from a prison in Rome, uncertain of what his future holds, yet certain and confident in the one who holds his future. He closes his letter here with a crescendo of worshipful joy. This was a man who had truly discovered the secret of contentment. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Friends, rejoice in the Lord always. Press on in faith. Look to Christ. All of those great themes that we've heard Paul champion these past weeks in the book of Philippians. Paul concludes his letter echoing these great themes, reminding us that our true joy, our true strength, our true hope is only found in the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Look to Jesus, friends, and you can know the secret of contentment, the secret of true joy. Let me close in a word of prayer this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you for Paul. And I thank you for these powerful words he left us here in the book of Philippians. I pray that these words this morning would serve as an encouragement to my friends who are watching today. God, may we look to you as the source of our strength, the source of our hope, our contentment in the any and every in all circumstances of life. And may you prove yourself faithful to us as you always have to your people. We know you, God, will supply all our needs according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We thank you for your amazing grace. We look to you in hope and we worship you in a spirit of joy and thanksgiving. Thank you, Jesus, in your great name. Amen. Let me leave you with these great words from 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 16. Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times and in every way. 
The Lord be with you all. Amen.